Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to bring you Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. Now, without further ado, let's start the show. Monday Night Raw, this would be their last episode because tonight, as you are listening to this on a Saturday, it is Backlash. So Raw is their uh, go-home show into Backlash, and this would be also the last night of the draft because the draft started last Friday on SmackDown, so Raw just basically finished it off. And Triple H will come out to read the first round picks for Raw and SmackDown. Raw would pick the SmackDown Women's Champion, Rhea Ripley, as the first draft pick, and they also would pick Seth Rollins. SmackDown would pick the United States Champion, Austin Theory, and Charlotte Flair. Now, after reading the draft picks, Triple H will let the audience know that Brock Lesnar will be remaining a free agent, meaning that he'll be able to show up on any brand that he chooses because he was able to negotiate a contract with whoever it is, so that's the reason why he was not able to be drafted. Now, after this, Paul Heyman will come down to the ring. Paul would say that he's out here to reiterate messages from Roman Reigns. He would talk about how he, Roman, and Solo have been drafted to SmackDown, while the Usos have not been drafted yet. But he would make it known that the Usos are not in good standings with the Tribal Chief, Roman Reigns, because they did not win the tag team titles back on SmackDown. And they will have to answer for that in the back later tonight, while they also will have to handle their Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn problem, and Matt Riddle problem at Backlash when they team up with the problem solver, Solo Sokoa. Paul would then talk about the World Heavyweight Championship and how it looks pretty and how it would look nice around the waist of Roman Reigns. But since Roman's on SmackDown, he can't challenge for it. And that championship has men in the Raw locker room talking bad about the Tribal Chief, men like Seth Rollins. Now, mentioning Seth, Seth will come down to the ring and talk about how Roman doesn't have to defend his championship against him since both men are on different brands and Roman doesn't have to worry about him no more. Seth would say that he is going to win the World Heavyweight Championship and he's going to show everyone what a real world champion is, being a man that defends it and not running away from competition. Paul would get a phone call from Roman and Paul would tell Seth that he is pissing off the Tribal Chief. Seth would toy with Paul saying that he is going to curb stomp Paul's head into the mat, but Solo would come down to the ring and Solo would be stopped by Paul Heyman. Paul will let Seth know that Seth will be going against Solo in the main event of Monday Night Raw. So that match does happen, and I'll get to that when I get to the main event of Raw. Now, after this, we get the first match of the night, a tag team matchup of Damage Controls, Bailey and Dakota Kai, going against the women's tag team champions, Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez. Now, Bailey and Dakota would win the match by pinfall when Liv would hit Dakota with Oblivion, and Bailey would run into the ring and get Liv in a sunset flip pin for the win because Liv thought Dakota was the eligible uh, competitor, but Bailey was able to get a sneaky pin, well, a sneaky tag to get a sneaky pin on Liv. So Bailey and Dakota have a win over the women's tag team champions, so you can best believe they're probably going to get a women's tag team title shot somewhere down the line. Now, after this, we would get Booker T and Queen Charmel to come out. They will read the uh, second round draft picks of the night. Raw would get the tag team champions of Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, and also the rest of the Judgment Day, Finn Balor, Damian Priest, and Dominic Mysterio. While SmackDown, they would get the Bloodlines, the Usos to round it all off for the Bloodline, and the LWO, Rey Mysterio and Legato del Fantasma. Now, after this, we get the second match of the night, Alpha Academy with Maxine Dupree in their corner, going against Ricochet and Braun Strowman. 
Ricochet and Strowman would win the match by pinfall when Braun would body slam Otis. Then Ricochet would hit a swanton off the shoulders of Braun for the win. After this, Adam Pearce and Shawn Michaels were supposed to read the picks for the third round of the draft, but Brock Lesnar would interrupt them and walk directly towards the ring. Adam Pearce would send security to get to the ring, and Brock would tell Pearce that he's going to need more security than that if he wants to get Brock out of here. So Pierce would bring out more, but still wasn't enough. Brock would just stand still in the ring. Cody's music would hit. Brock would look at the stage, but Cody would attack Brock from behind. Cody would drop Brock with a single punch, and Brock would roll out of the ring. You would see security rush into the ring to hold Cody back from trying to get to Brock. Brock would just stand on the entrance stage and just look at Cody, who would have a smug smirk on his face. So you could tell that Brock wanted to get at Cody, but he's playing mind games with Cody because he sees Cody is so rabid to try to get at him. So Brock just allows Cody to just get angry, and you see Brock just walk away. Now, after this, we would go back to the draft picks for the third round. Raw would pick the women's tag team champions, Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez, and the New Day, while SmackDown would get Asuka and the Brawling Brutes, which consists of Sheamus, Butch, and Ridge Holland. Now we get to our next matchup. Matt Riddle with Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn in their corner, going against Jimmy Uso, who had Jay Uso in his corner, but Jay would get taken out extremely quickly because Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, they would pull Eddie Guerrero on Jay. Kevin Owens would fall to the ground, and Sami would throw a chair to Jay. Jay would talk, grab the chair. Sami would tell the referee that Jay hit Kevin Owens with the chair. That would make the ref throw Jay Uso to the back, so Jimmy's all out here by himself. And this will lead to Jimmy's downfall because Riddle would get the win thanks to Kevin Owens interfering when Jimmy was unwrapping the top turnbuckle to expose the steel. Sami Zayn would get on the apron to distract the ref and this will allow Kevin Owens to grab Jimmy and smash Jimmy's head onto the exposed steel. This will allow Riddle to hit Jimmy with a ripcord knee strike to the face then finish him off with the floating bro for the win. Now after this we go backstage. Jay Uso walks into a locker room where you see Solo and Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman's trying to talk up Solo for his match with Seth Rollins in the night. Jay will walk in and he will ask Paul why wasn't Solo out there with him. And you just see Solo wanted to rip his own brother's head off when he said that statement. And Solo just looks at Jay just so menacingly. Paul had to calm Solo down and say, listen, Solo has a match with Seth Rollins tonight, and he's going to do the will of the Tribal Chief, so we try to keep him calm and steady and prepare for that. So that's the reason why he wasn't out there. Jay, not believing it, he just has a content look on his face and says, all right. And then you just see Jay just looking at Solo, Solo looking at Jay. Paul says, oh, so you want the room. Okay, so you will see Paul and Solo leave the room as Jay just stands there, and Jay looks in completely, like, disbelief of Paul and Solo just leaving. So you can start seeing the cracks unfolding in the bloodline already. More and more as this thing's going. And also, you gotta remember, the bloodline's going against Matt Riddle and Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens at Backlash, so you gotta wonder how this fares into that. Now we will go to our fourth round draft picks. Eric Bischoff and RVD would read off the picks. Raw would select Trish Stratus, Shayna Baszler, and Ronda Rousey. Boss Maddown would pick up Karrion Cross and Scarlett and L.A. Knight. After this, we would have Miz TV with his special guest, Shinsuke Nakamura. Miz would try to have Nakamura be his right-hand man, like his number two, and Nak wasn't going for it. Nak would instead say that Miz is a Japanese word, and he would say it on television. I just don't remember what the word is, 
but I do remember that it translated to man with tiny balls. Miz would get insulted by this, and he would try to strike Nakamura, but Nak would kick Miz in the gut, then hit him with the Kinshasa, and this would lay Miz out. After this, we have Omaz with MVP in his corner, going against Anthony Alanis. Omaz would win the match by pinfall, hitting a double-handed chokeslam for the win. Quick squash match. After this, we had Molly Holly and Road Dog coming out to read the fifth round draft picks. Raw would select Ricochet, Braun Strowman, and Bronson Reed, while SmackDown would pick up Shotzi and Pretty Deadly. Yes, boys. So Pretty Deadly will be going to SmackDown, and that was a big win for SmackDown in that regard, and I'm happy that Pretty Deadly's on there. Now, after this, we have Judgment Day coming out to the ring. Rhea will gloat about being the number one draft picked here tonight, then talk about her upcoming match with Selena at Backlash, saying that she is the most dominant champion in WWE and Selena has no chance. Finn will hype up Priest to talk about his match with Bad Bunny, and Priest will talk about the type of pain that he's going to inflict on Bad Bunny when he sees him at Backlash. But Damian Priest would say all that in Spanish. He did not say anything in English until the end when he talks and says that Bad Bunny will be facing his punishment. Now, after this, the LWO will come out so that we can get our mixed six-man tag match up here of Judgment Day's Damian Priest, Dominic Mysterio, and Rhea Ripley going against LWO's Santos Escobar, Rey Mysterio, and Selena Vega. Judgment Day would win the match by pinfall thanks to interference from Finn Balor. When Rey had Priest for the 619 and Rey swung his legs to connect, Finn would get on the apron and his back would eat the 619. This will allow Damian to grab Rey and hit the South of Heaven chokeslam for the win, so this gives Priest one more win as he goes into Backlash to face Bad Bunny in a street fight. Now after this, we get the sixth and final round draft picks of the night. It'll be Teddy Long and JBL coming out to read it. Raw would select Alpha Academy and Katana Chance and Caden Carter, while SmackDown would pick up Rick Boogs and Cameron Grimes. Now we're off to the main event. Solo Sokoa with Paul Heyman in his corner going against Seth Rollins. Now, Seth would win the match by disqualification when Seth had Solo Sokoa and he was beating on him. You would see the Usos run down to the ring, jump Seth, the ref would ring the bell, and now you would see Kevin Owens, Riddle, and Sami Zayn running down to the ring, and Raw would end off with four on three, just the bloodline going against Riddle, Seth, uh, Kevin Owens, and Sami Zayn, and that's how Raw would end. So with that, that's your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, before I move over to NXT, they would have the remainder of the draft like on their Raw Talk After Show. And on the draft, they will remain out these final last pieces of the draft for each show. Raw will pick up Dana Brooke, Nikki Cross, Johnny Gargano, Akira Tozawa, Angel Garza, Humberto Carrillo, Emma, Piper Niven, Redrick Moss, formerly known as Mad Cat Moss, Tegan Knox. Zia Lee, in Desheer, which consists of Jinder Mahal, Sangha, and Veer Mahan, and Odyssey Jones. Those four guys come up from NXT, so those are the NXT call-up. Also, we would get Apollo Crews and Zoe Stark going to Raw. Now, on SmackDown, they would get Tamina and Grayson Waller. Grayson Waller is now on the main roster. He's on SmackDown. I was surprised that they did not draft him on television. That was one of the picks that everybody thought would be picked on TV, but nope, he was picked on the after show. And to round it off, the undrafted picks, quote-unquote the free agents, which consists of the people that are able to go on any show that they feel like, they are 
Baron Corbin, Zion Quinn, Elias, Sheldon Benjamin, and Cedric Alexander. So those are the whole complete like total draft picks from this whole week. Now going over to NXT, first thing to note, next week on NXT, we will have Dijak going against Ilya Dragunov. Now the first match that happened on NXT was for the NXT North American Championship. We had Wesley, the champion, with Tyler Bate in his corner, going against the challenger, Drew Gulak, with Charlie Dempsey in his corner. Wes would win the match by pinfall by hitting the cardiac kick on Drew for the win. Tyler Bate took care of Charlie Dempsey. That's why he was able to stop Dempsey from interfering towards the end of the match. So when Wesley does this, he wins the match. You have Tyler Bate run into the ring. He would raise Wes's hand in victory. And as he's doing so, you will see Tyler Bate looking at the North American Championship. Wes is completely oblivious to this. He just is happy that he's retaining the championship. But you would just see from multiple times, Tyler Bate would just look up at that North American Championship. So you could tell that Tyler Bate is gunning for that North American Championship. After this, we would have Trick Williams coming to the ring. Trick would recount his history with Melo, not just being in NXT, but their time in high school and how close they have been. And how Melo doesn't miss, but when he does, Trick is there to always rebound it. And thanks to Braun sneak attacking him last week, you would see Trick wanting to get at Braun Breaker. This would have Braun come out and say that Trick is the strongest of the two since he speared Trick out of the way and he put him in the Steiner recliner. Trick is here while Melo just got speared last week and he's not here. Braun will say that he doesn't want to represent the stupid fans of NXT, but he can't stand seeing Melo with that NXT championship. So he would like to beat Melo in his home state in front of his family and friends at Battleground. So the match gets made official. We have Carmelo Hayes going against Braun for the NXT championship at Battleground. Braun will tell Trick to run back and tell Melo that. Trick will say that he isn't Melo's mouthpiece. And he wants a piece of Braun for a sneak attacking them last week. Braun will say that they will do this on his time. And that that time will be next week. So Braun will be going against Trick Williams next week. After this, we had our second match of the night. Gigi Dolan going against JC Jane. Gigi's brother would be in the crowd for this matchup here. JC would win the match by pinfall when JC would hit a cyclone kick on Gigi Dolan for the win. Now, towards the end of the match, JC will be bleeding from the top of her head thanks to Gigi giving JC some Masawa kicks, just basically holding JC's head and constantly just kicking her head repeatedly as JC's head was close to the steel steps. So, the image of blood just running down JC's face, it was very surreal because in WWE, they don't usually let their women bleed. AEW, they do this. Impact, they. Rarely have their women bleed, so I'm not too familiar with how that situation goes down. But in WWE, if somebody's bleeding, they quickly get some type of gloves on the referee and kind of move away and try to grab the competitor and try to wipe the blood off their face. But no, they just let the blood run down JC's face here. So it made an awesome imagery for what happened next. After the match was done, JC would continue attacking Gigi and throwing Gigi into the steel steps twice, then striking her in the head multiple times with her hands, then stomping on Gigi's face. And you will see JC just taunt Gigi's brother at the same time as she's doing this. So JC really is a menace, but just having the blood on her face as she's saying this, it just really put things in perspective for the type of level of which if WWE wants to go somewhere with JC in this hardcore way, they could do this because, again, 
the visual of JC bleeding just puts her on another level. The same way that I feel that Becky having that iconic bloody face after Nia Jax punched her in the face a couple years ago put Becky on another level. But only time will tell what they do with JC after this. Now, the next matchup was Axiom going against Scripps. Axiom would win the match by pinfall when Axiom would catch Scripps jumping off the top rope with a super kick, then finish him off with the golden ratio for the win. Now, this match was all about Scripps here. Axiom, we know what he can do. We know that he's a good wrestler. We know what he's capable in the ring. Scripps, we know not much about. Like, we know what he was capable of doing in his pastime as a different character of Reggie but he didn't really get to showcase what he could do. And it looks like he actually was able to develop himself more down in the PC as he was away from the main light of the main roster as he went back to the developmental of NXT here because you got to see him bust out high-flying moves on Axiom like a big moonsault. He was actually able to run off the announce table and hit a parkour S type move on Axiom. The stuff that Reggie will be doing, but... It just looked great to see him do this here with Axiom here, and Axiom was the perfect guy for Scripps to go against. However, he's no longer going to be called Scripps after this because I'll explain it. After the match, Axiom would win, and he would look to leave the ring, but he stops himself. He would walk towards Scripps. He would extend his hand out. Scripps would shake it, and Scripps would try to punch Axiom in the face, which he does. This will have Axiom strike and knock Scripps to his knees. Axiom would unmask him, and it's Reggie. Ta-da. Everybody knew it was Reggie. This wasn't no big shock to everybody. People on Twitter did the whole fake surprise meme of it. Axiom would lay out Reggie with a super kick, and that's it. So I can see them killing that Scripps name, and he'll probably go back to Reggie or a different name. But ta-da is Reggie underneath the Scripps mask. Now, after this, we have Dragon Lee going against J.D. McDonough. I forgot to mention, J.D. McDonough, he was drafted to Monday Night Raw. So this is J.D. McDonough's last match on NXT here. And J.D. and Dragon Lee tore up. They had a great match. If you did not see it, I implore you, go back and watch that match. They really, like, threw out everything they could here. And Noam Dar, he would come out in the middle of the matchup here. And he would give J.D. the win, thanks to interference, when Dragon would counter J.D. McDonough's Devlin inside a move into a Canadian Destroyer. JD would then roll out of the ring. Dragon would then get up and then go out of the ring, then grab JD, throw him into the ring. Noam Dar would try to strike Dragon Lee, but Dragon would duck it and then super kick Noam Dar, knocking him to the floor. Once Dragon Lee would get back in the ring, he would eat a headbutt from JD McDonough, and then JD would finish him off with the Devlin inside for the win. Now, after the match, Dragon would hit Noam Dar with a suicide dive, and both men would fight to the back as JD would soak in the people applauding him as, again, this is his last appearance on NXT. So, JD McDonough winning this match, I did not expect that personally. I thought he was going to lose because, again, in wrestling, you always kind of do the honors. That's what they like to say. If this is your last time being at a show, you lose if you have that match with someone. He didn't do this. He actually had a completely incredible match with Dragon Lee, and he got the win, but thanks to shenanigans, but he still won. So it was shocking to me, but hey, man, NXT works in mysterious ways. They do what they got to do, but it didn't hurt JD McDonough winning and Dragon Lee losing, and it didn't, and it wouldn't have hurt if JD would have lost to Dragon Lee. But again, 
they do what they want here. But it was glad to see uh, JD actually get that respect that he's kind of owed. Now, after this, we'll have Joe Gacy with Schism in his corner going against Joe Coffey with Gallus in his corner. And the stipulation for this is that if Joe Gacy wins, he will have the Dyad get a tag team title match against Gallus. But if Gallus win, the Dyad will not get a chance at the tag team titles as long as Gallus has the championships. Joe Gacy would win the match by pinfall thanks to the Schism interfering. You will have the Dyad fight Gallus around the ring. James Drake will get in the ring. Joe Coffey would hit him with a clothesline. James Drake would roll out of the ring, and the ref would look at him as he does this. This will allow Ava Ring to give him the ring and stare at Joe Coffey, and then fell to the mat and yell that Joe Coffey hit her. The ref will look at Coffey, and he will plead that he didn't hit her, and this will lead up to Joe Gacy going for the upside-down clothesline on Joe Coffey to win said match. Now, the Dyad has a tag team title match with Gallus next week. And again, this throws a big monkey wrench into things. As I said last week, uh, the Dyad, you, the Grizzly Young Veterans, however you want to be uh, known with them as, they tweeted out that, hey, they asked for their release last week. WWE didn't want to give it to them. So now they got to just ride it out until October the 15th, but they'll be a free agent on October the 16th. So... I don't know what's going on. Usually, whenever somebody says some type of tweet like that, the talent usually would not be on TV. They usually just be sitting home or somewhere like that. But I think since uh, they're professionals like this, they're going to be on TV. They'll do what WWE wants them or needs of them to do. And hopefully, uh, they get a nice, good, tasteful send-off if they are going to leave. Or hopefully, they can find somebody in creative and they can actually just get something like worked out that they might want to stay with WWE before uh, their contract ends. Only time will tell. Remember, we got until the 15th to figure that out, and the 16th will be the day of reckoning to know if they're still with the company or not. But next week, we do know that the Dyad do get a tag team title match with Gallus for the NXT tag team title. So next week's matchup is going to be interesting. Um, After this, we had the NXT debut of Danny Palmer going against Tatum Paxley. Danny would win the match by pinfall by hitting a frog splash for the win. Solid match. We know where we're going with Danny Palmer here. Danny Palmer is one of those gymnastic, athletic, uh, backgrounded type of chicks here. Give her more polish. I guarantee you she'll be up there with the next uh, females of NXT that be running the whole show whenever they get up to call to the main roster here. The same thing that I've said with Sol Ruka. Same thing I said with Tiffany Stratton. Those women that come from the gymnastic world and going into the WWE that have the look, you could tell with just more polishing, you could tell where they are going to go in that business if they keep going with it. And only time will tell with Danny. So Danny had a good match with Tatum Paxley here, and it's like I say. Now after this, we have the NXT Women's Tag Team title match. It'll be Kaden Carter and Katana Chance, the challengers, going against Alba Fire and Isla Dawn, the champions. Now, this was a Raw team going against a SmackDown team. Caden Carter and Katana Chance got drafted over to Raw. And Alba Fire and Isla Dawn got drafted over to SmackDown. Isla Dawn and Alba Fire would retain their championships by pinfall when Isla Dawn and Alba Fire would hit Katana with their tag finisher, the Gory Bomb slash Flattener special for the win. So, Alba Fire and Isla Dawn will be bringing the NXT Women's Tag Team Championships over to SmackDown. At least, at the present time, this is what it seems. Now, off to the main segment. The NXT Women's Champion, Indy Hartwell, will come down to the ring. 
Indy will be wearing a boot and she's using a crutch. Indy will recall her time entering NXT and people doubting her all the way up to her being in the way with Johnny Gargano, Candice LeRae, and Austin Theory. And that was a starting point for her to start gaining confidence and start gaining a bond, not just with the people in the back, but also with the audience and making her feel at home. Indy would mention that last week when she was on the medical table with a high ankle sprain, she only thought about coming back to the ring to defend and retain her NAC Women's Championship, which she did. So Indy now knows that since she's going over to Raw, she can't take the NXT Women's Championship with her. So she announces that next week on NXT, they will start a tournament to crown a new NXT Women's Champion. And the finals will be held at Battlegrounds. So Indy would announce that. She would kiss the championship, then place it down on the mat. She would walk towards the ropes. And as she's leaving the ring, you will see... Dexter Loomis slide from underneath the ring and pop his head out. And you will see Dexter get up, grab Indy, cradle her in his arms. And Dexter would walk with Indy to the back and she just gives a thumbs up. And this is the ending chapter of the Index storyline in NXT. But now this is where it gets interesting because the way... Well, everybody except Austin Theory is now on Monday Night Raw. You have Dexter Loomis, Andy, Candice, Johnny Gargano. So you can see this group, four-person group, be aligned together on Raw. We can continue on with the way situation, or everybody's going to go about their business, but I don't see that. I see all four of them being stuck together. Um, after we see Dexter and Indy walk to the back, you will see a close-up shot of the Women's Championship still being on uh, the mat. And you will see a hand just grab it, and it's Tiffany Stratton. Tiffany Stratton will hold the Women's Championship. Then you will see another hand grab the championship, and it's Cora Jade. Now you see Cora and Tiffany have a tug-of-war with the championship. You see another woman run into the ring, close on both of them. It's Lyra Valkyria. Then you start seeing the whole NXT Women's locker room coming down there, and NXT just ends in a brawl with all the women just fighting it out, and this gives a preview of what the tournament for the NXT Women's Championship looks like, and I like the way that it ended. Raw ended chaotic, and now you have NXT in chaotic, and sometimes, especially with situations like this that sets up a tournament, it needs to be chaotic to get people hyped up for it, so hopefully people get invested, and people will look forward to watching NXT uh, this upcoming episode, but time will tell with that. Now, with that being said, that is your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, moving over to AEW Dynamite. A couple things to note. On this episode of AEW Dynamite, we have Kenny Omega and John Moxley cutting backstage promos. And they're basically hyping up their Steel Cage match, which will be happening next week. Remember, we're still in the mix of Blackpool Combat Club going against the Elite. So that match next week will probably heighten, uh, heighten up the rivalry for AEW. And also, the House of Black, they would... Issue an open challenge to anybody, basically. So, House of Black, they would have a vignette, and they'll walk backstage in their own little dark room, as they usually are. They would throw down the trios championships, and they would say that they are now issuing a challenge called the Open House Challenge, which any three random men on the AEW roster, or just anybody in general, can come and face the House of Black for the trios championships, and the rules for said match will go as follows. 
There will be a 20 seconds count out. You'll have no rope breaks and DQ is enforced. So I like this direction that they're going with House of Black personally. As long as we get more House of Black on TV, that is a plus. The thing right now that I'm that they are technically missing out is literally just House of Black. The trios championships that used to be featured on uh, Dynamite and Rampage frequently whenever you had the uh, Lucha Brothers holding them. And even for that short period of time when the Elite came back, they held the uh, trios championships. But since House of Black have gotten it, we haven't seen them nor the championships that much on television. So hopefully that will uh, change with this new uh, open challenge here. Now, getting on to the match that happened on this week's episode of Dynamite. First match would be an eight-man tag match. The international champion, Orange Cassidy, teaming up with Bandito, Roderick Strong, and Adam Cole going against the Jericho Appreciation Society's 2.0, Jake Hager, and Daniel Garcia. Chris Jericho will be on commentary for this match, and Orange Cassidy, Bandito, Roderick, and Adam would win the match by pinfall when Roderick would hit Angelo Parker with a jumping knee, and Adam would finish it off with the boom, which is a running knee strike to the behind the head of Parker for the win. Now, after the match, Adam Cole would run straight to Chris Jericho and attack him to the point that security would come out and take Adam Cole off of Jericho and bring him to the back and eventually escort him out of the building. So this is what happens. Adam Cole was so upset that he couldn't get his hands too much on Chris Jericho. And I mean, periodically throughout the match, he would try to run up the uh, entrance ramp to try to get at Jericho, but you'll see uh, members of the Jericho Appreciation Society going after Cole to make sure he couldn't touch Jericho. So whenever he finally did get to touch Jericho after the match, he just dogpiled on him and just constantly beat on him. So I like that they did this with Adam Cole. Adam Cole needs this uh, moment to show off that he's upset with Chris Jericho having the outcast beat up on Britt Baker and he just couldn't do nothing about it. So Cole getting this measure of revenge on Chris Jericho was a a uh, brilliant move on AEW's part. Now, the second match that would happen was Willow Nightingale going against Soraya with the Outcast in their corner. Soraya would win the match by pinfall thanks to interference from said Outcast. When Willow would hit Soraya with the Death Valley driver and cover her, Tony Storm would get on the ring apron and distract the referee. Ruby Soho would get on the other end of the ring apron and Willow would pull Ruby in. Willow would then hit Ruby with the pounce and Ruby would roll out of the ring. You will see Willow go over to Tony, hit her to knock her off the ring apron, and when Willow turned around, Soraya would grab Willow and hit her with a good night, which is formerly known as the Rampage, for the win. Now, after the match, the Outcast would attack Willow until Hikaru Shida would run down to the ring with her kendo stick. Now, we would get a face-off between Shida with the outcast, and it seems that Sheeta's about to hit him with it, but Sheeta just drops the candlestick and hugs Soraya. So it looks as Sheeta is joining the outcast, and the outcast feels this because they end up grabbing Willow, holding her, and then you can see Sheeta grabs the green spray paint can and she just starts shaking it up. And it looks like she's about to spray Willow with the L, but this was all a ruse. So Britt Baker and the AEW Women's Champion, Jamie Hayden, would get in the ring behind the outcast and attack the outcast. So this was all nothing but a sneak attack. You will see Sheeta spray paint uh, Soraya in the face. And Sheeta will pick up her kindle stick, hit all members of the outcast with it, lay them out. 
and start spraying each member with an L on their chest, the same way that the outcasts have been doing to all the women in AEW that they have went against. So this was a nice um, swerve from AEW to the fans. I don't think anybody saw Sheeta coming down to join the outcasts. And whenever we all thought that she was going to join it, you had some people cheering, you had some people booing, but it was the unpredictability that we got out of it. And I don't think anybody would have truly been mad if Sheeta would have joined um, the outcasts. Because again, the outcasts need somebody to join them because there's only three women going against the whole AEW women's roster. And again, I still think they're waiting for Chris Statlander to go against... Uh, the AEW Originals, because Chris needs something, and I think her joining the Outcast when she comes back, I think that might be the uh, right move to go, but uh, we'll just have to wait and see, but this was a nice swerve that AEW was able to pull on uh, their fans here. After this, we had the Trez de Mayo uh, Battle Royal, which consists of um, six trios tag teams in this Battle Royal uh, matchup. We had Diversity Athletes with uh, Aria Divari. You had Lucha Brothers with Vinkingo, The Acclaim with Billy Gunn, Dark Order's Evil Uno with John Silver and Alex Reynolds, Butcher Blade and uh, Kip Sabian, and if I round it off, Powerhouse Hobbs with QT Marshall and Aaron Solo. The final participants in said match would be The Acclaims, Anthony Bowens and Billy Gunn's, and Butcher and Kip Sabian. The Acclaim would win the match when Bowens and Gunn would toss out Butcher and Kip Sabian to win said matchup. Now, after this, we have Warlow with Arn Anderson going against Logan LaRue. Warlow would win the match by pinfall, hitting a clothesline, then hitting LaRue with three power bombs to win said matchup here. I hate Warlow's roundup uh, clothesline. The way that he sets it up, it's not good. He should just hit a wicked clothesline by literally running off the ropes and just nailing some, like, his opponent with it. Like, JBL would do, like, with a clothesline of hell. That's the way he should do it. Not that whole silly little point at someone and just round it up. No. Hit the clothesline from hell. You can take moves from other people. That's the type of move Warlow should be taking from someone. So, Warlow should do that. Um, That's just me being a nerd sidebar here. Um, Continuing on, after the match, Warlow will get a microphone. And he will issue a TNT Championship Open Challenge match to Christian Cage and Luchasaurus. Now, Christian and Luchasaurus will come out. Christian will have a mic in his hand. And he says that the Open Challenge matchup will not happen tonight. Because he could easily send Luchasaurus down there to take the title off of Warlow. But that isn't going to happen. This Open Challenge is not for Luchasaurus. It is for Christian Cage. So Christian is supposedly going to be the one to take out Warlow for the TNT Championship. Me, I see this as nothing but mind games from Christian. Again, I think Christian knows that he can't compete like physically with Warlow. So I think he's going to try to beat him mentally by having uh, Luchasaurus probably rough up Warlow. So Christian could easily beat Warlow because, again, Christian is not as strong as Warlow. Or we can go with the second route. Luchasaurus could beat Warlow. And then have Luchasaurus lay down for him. So Christian could pin Luchasaurus to become the new TNT champion. I don't know if that one's going to happen or any of those two situations is probably going to happen. If I wanted to pick one, I'd probably go with, if they're going to be smart, probably the second one. Because that's the only way. And I mean the only way. Christian is going to beat Warlow become TNT champion in any capacity. So 
if I had it my way, I'd probably go with the second one with Luchasaurus beating Warlow, and you would see Luchasaurus like laid out for Christian to become TNT champion if that's the way they want to go with this. But I hope that Warlow has a long reign with the TNT title, to be honest with you. I just hope that this is just a stumbling block or roadblock, if you will, and we get a long reign with uh, Warlow as TNT champion because they're trying to build Warlow back up. I do appreciate them doing that. So hopefully uh, we'll see what happens here. Now, after this, we will have Juice Robinson going against Ricky Starks. Ricky would win the match by pinfall by hitting Juice with a spear, then finish him off with Rochambeau for the win. After the match, Jay White would come through the audience and get in the ring behind Ricky Starks, turn him around, try to hit him with a Blade Runner. Ricky would counter it, look to hit Jay White with the Rochambeau, but before he could do so, you would see Juice pull Jay White out of the ring, and you would see Jay and Juice walk back up the ramp to the back so this continues with uh, Ricky's problems with both Juice Robinson and Jay White now we're off to the main event tag team matchup MJF and Sammy Guevara going against Darby Allen and Jungle Boy now the condition is if Jungle Boy and Darby Allen win they will be added to the AEW world title matchup at double or nothing and becomes a fatal four-way matchup but if they don't win then it still just will be MGF going against Sammy Guevara. Now, Jungle Boy and Darby Allen would get the win by pinfall thanks to miscommunication on the end of Sammy and MGF. Now, Sammy Guevara, he was playing the right-hand man to MGF. They were playing like best friends throughout this whole matchup until we got to the end where you would see MGF. He would try to basically sneak the win under Sammy's nose. Sammy would hit a swan time on Jungle Boy. MJF would tag himself in while Sammy was on the top turnbuckle. Sammy doesn't know this until the referee tells him to get out of the ring. MJF would make the pin. Jungle Boy would kick out at two. You would start seeing Sammy ask MJF, what is he doing? MJF tells him that he's just trying to win. So you tell Sammy to get out of the ring. Sammy doesn't think none of it. He says, okay, cool. Sammy gets out of the ring. Sammy takes the opportunity to do to MJF what MJF just did to him. He would tag himself in when MJF hits a powerbomb uh, backbreaker on Jungle Boy. And he would go for the pin and Jungle Boy would kick out. Now you have MJF asking Sammy what he's doing. Sammy would tell MJF the exact same thing. I'm just trying to win. MJF would slap Sammy across the face and you will see Sammy just look off into the distance so pissed off. And MJF is yelling at him saying, I pay you, you do what I say. Sammy would turn MJF around, hit him with a super kick, and this will lay MJF out. Um, this will lead to Jungle Boy rolling up Sammy. Sammy would kick out of it. You would see Jungle Boy hit Sammy with an elbow, well, well, a running elbow behind the head, and he would go for the pin. But what Jungle Boy didn't know was that when he ran off the ropes, Darby tagged himself in. Darby would go up to the top rope, hit a coffin drop onto Sammy. Jungle Boy had to move out of the way so he wouldn't get hit. And as Darby was making the pin, he stared Jungle Boy right in his eyes as the referee made the count. One, two, three. Darby Allen and Jungle Boy will be going to double or nothing. And that singles matchup will now be turned into a fatal four-way matchup of MJF going against Sammy Guevara, Darby Allen, and Jungle Boy. Basically, the four pillars of AEW will be facing off for the AEW World Championship. MJF was not pleased at this. He was yelling on the ramp. And we all knew it was coming to this. We all knew that we were going to get a fiddle forward match at Double or Nothing. We just had to go through obstacles just to get it there instead of it being a, okay, fiddle forward match has been announced. No, we just had a couple weeks of just 
okay, they played around with it, see how we're going to get there. But now with it finally being laid out, AEW have three weeks to continuing with the build of this Fatal 4 match at Double or Nothing. Will MGF try to smooth things over with Sammy Guevara next week on Dynamite? That probably might be a way. Or he could probably try to smooth things over with Jungle Boy. I don't see MGF uh, talking to Darby Allen. That's one guy that he has a strict hatred for. So I can see MGF talking to everyone except Darby to try to get them on his side. But only time will tell on next week's episode of AEW Dynamite. Now with that being said, that was your Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we move over to Impact Wrestling. First thing to note, next week on Impact, we will have Masha Slamovich going against Killer Kelly. Nick Aldis making his Impact, well, re-debut, going against Sheldon Jean. And also the Knockouts Tag Team Championships will be defended when the Coven will go against the Knockouts Champion, Deanna Peraza and Jordan Grace. Now, the first match that will happen on Impact is Bupinder Gujir and Yuya Yumura going against Brian Myers and Moose. Moose and Brian Myers would win the match by pinfall, when Bupinder would hit Brian Myers with a springboard savat kick, which would make Brian Myers roll out of the ring. And when Bupinder turned around, Moose would hit him with a spear to win the match for their team. Now, after this, we will have the match of Sammy Callahan going against Diener, or at least that's what we were supposed to have. Um, Sammy would come down to the ring. Diener would come down with the rest of the design, and you have a mic in his hand. Diener will let Sammy know that Sammy wasn't going to face him tonight. He would instead be facing Khan. That's when Khan would choke slam Sammy. Angels would pound on Sammy. The ref would start gaining some control and get Diener and Angels out of the ring so we can have Sammy versus Khan officially begin. Sammy would win the match by disqualification thanks to when Sammy was looking at Diener after kicking Khan in the nuts. Diener would taunt Callahan by getting on the ring apron. Then doing Callahan's whole thumbs up, thumb down bit. And when he got to the thumbs down part, a group of men in a yellow hoodie would run down to the ring and just storm Sammy Callahan, beat on him. The ref would call for the bell. You would just see nothing but just a whole swarm of guys just beating down on Sammy. It would get to the point that Diener would get in the ring. He has Sammy's baseball bat in hand. He would tell the guys to move away from Sammy. They would do so. Sammy would look up at Diener and he would yell at Diener to do it. And Diener would hit Sammy in the head with his own baseball bat. So we're still continuing on with Diener and the design going against Sammy Callahan after Sammy turned on them two weeks ago. So this is where we're at now. And I don't see this thing ending yet. Um, Sammy would try to recruit Rich Swan later in the night to help him. Sammy would do this by pulling the brother card on rich because they known each other before wrestling they know each other in wrestling outside of wrestling just the amount of time that they've been around each other so rich tells sammy listen i've known you for that so long and you keep on getting yourself in unwinnable situations sammy will cut him off right there listen i'm not trying to hear no type of excuses no type of story right now are you going to help me or not and he would just walk away so more than likely rich one is going to help sammy deal with the design now, after this, we have Alicia Edwards going against Jody Threat. Jody Threat would win the match by pinfall by hitting the F416 for the win. After this, we have a six man tag Champagne Singh, Shira, and the Impact World Champion Steve Macklin going against PCO, Rhino, and Heath. PCO, Rhino, and Heath would win the match by pinfall 
when Macklin would have a stare down with PCO, Macklin would roll out of the ring as PCO would walk towards him. Macklin, not seeing Rhino, would get a gore. So you would see Macklin on the ground. You would see PCO in the ring. Champagne Singh would try to pay off PCO, but PCO wasn't going for it. Heath would hit Champagne Singh with the wake-up call, and PCO would finish off Singh by hitting the PCO salt for the win. Now, later in the night, Steve Macklin would walk up to Scott Demore and say that he needs to handle Rhino. Scott Demore would tell Steve Macklin that next week he would be defending the Impact World Championship against Rhino, so that's Scott Demore's way of handling Rhino. Now, after this, we have Speedball Mike Bailey going against Jonathan Gresham. This is their fourth match in a series of matches that these two men are having. Mike Bailey's up one. Jonathan Gresham's up one. They have a no contest in the third one. So this is their fourth match up here. Jonathan Gresham would win the match by submission by making Speedball tap out to the octopus stretch. Again, solid match between these two guys. Impact knows what they're doing by putting uh, Jonathan Gresham going against Speedball. They know that match will constantly do well. They know it will keep people engaged into the Impact product. I'm liking that they're doing this. I just hope that they put some type of uh, stipulation like a championship opportunity at the end of this whole series between both of these guys. That's what at least I'm hoping for with this. Now off to the main event segment. The segment that basically carried Impact for the whole entire week because for... Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday leading up to Impact, they will be advertising Trinity, formerly known as WWE's Naomi, uh, making her debut in Impact Wrestling. For people that don't know, Impact was taped last week. So all on social media, they would constantly be throwing it out. Trinity's making her debut. Trinity's making her debut. They would show uh, a little snippet of her like walking out on the entrance stage with her music, like little teasers to get people to watch Impact Wrestling. So now that the time has come, we're at the moment. Trinity's here. Trinity's in Impact. And Trinity will get a standing ovation from the crowd. You can see from Trinity's face that she appreciated. Um, Trinity will say why she picked Impact Wrestling. She said that she picked Impact because Impact has a storied knockouts division. Their legacy is big, that when you want to prove yourself, you come to Impact Wrestling for the knockouts division. Trinity will list off former and current knockouts like uh, Gail Kim, uh, Awesome Kong, Mickey James, Deanna Perrazzo, Jordan Grace. She would just list off Impact knockout uh, wrestlers to prove a point, the reason why she's here. Trinity would make no qualms about wanting to face the fiercest competition and becoming the Knockouts champion during her time in Impact. Now, this would have the Knockouts champion, Deanna Perrazzo, coming down to the ring and formally welcome Trinity to Impact Wrestling. Deanna would put over Impact saying that if you want to make a statement, then you come to Impact because this is the place to be. But she would say this is a new era of the Knockouts division. This is the era of the Virtuosas Knockouts. And Deanna would throw a shot at Trinity by saying, whenever you get in the ring with the Virtuosa, you just simply can't walk away. This is making reference to Trinity and Mercedes Monet or Sasha Banks uh, just walking out of WWE. Trinity would fire back a shot of her own, saying that Deanna Barraza, when she gets in the ring with Trinity, is going to wish that she got fired again. Referencing to when Deanna Barraza got fired from WWE. So, you have this tense moment between these two ladies. Jordan Grace would come down to the ring, and Jordan Grace would, again, introduce herself to Trinity and welcome her 
into Impact, but let her know that, hey, if you want to face Deanna Perrazzo, you go ahead and do that. But if you want to face the Knockouts champion, then you come and face me because Jordan would remind Deanna that she has a match with her at Under Siege and she doesn't plan to lose to her for the fourth time. So she plans to take the Knockouts title away from Deanna. So you have these three ladies in the ring. Trinity would say, listen, you two are going to have your match and whoever comes out as champion, I'm going to see you. So Trinity has already had her eyes made out for the Knockouts championship here. And that's basically it. Impact was basically riding on uh, Trinity being here, social media uh, being captivated with Trinity the way that the wrestling world loves Trinity. We all love her. You got to see people tweet about Impact who usually don't be watching Impact because I kept my eyes on the wrestling community when they did this. And I was happy to know that, okay, people are at least going to keep their eyes on Impact because of Trinity. And again, I've been saying it from time and time again. Impact Wrestling has one of, if not the best women's roster in all of North America. I'm not going to say the world because Japanese wrestlers over there, they probably can do some things that I'm not too uh, familiar with because I don't keep my eyes too uh, situated on female Japanese wrestlers over there. I don't until they come over to America, then that's whenever I start doing uh, my research on them. But again, over here in North America, Impact Wrestling has the best women's division. So for Trinity to be here, that's great. And also to show you how much love Trinity has, Mercedes Monet formerly known as Sasha Banks, and Tamina, they were in the audience, but they were covering uh, their faces. Well, I can say for certain, uh, Mercedes was, because somebody took a photo of Mercedes, like, watching uh, Trinity in the ring, so Mercedes was there. Uh, Trinity, she would do interviews this past week, and she would mention how Tamina was there in the backstage with Mercedes, because Trinity is going to be wrestling on one of the upcoming episodes of Impact. They did tape multiple episodes last week. So Trinity is going to be wrestling on one of the episodes in this upcoming weeks of Impact. And Trinity was there uh, with Mercedes and Tamina. Those three are together for life. I love to see that. You just love to see the positivity from wrestlers and other, like, companies coming to support their beloved ones like the way you see trinity going over to new japan where mercedes went over there for her Russell kingdom debut you saw uh now mercedes coming over here with tamina to back up naomi and impact here i love to see that and also cm punk he was at impact last week too so CM Punk was there watching Mercedes and Tamina cheer on their best friend. So this was nothing but a real feel-good moment in the world of professional wrestling. So that's all I got to say for this. I'm glad that Trinity is here, and I hope that she enjoys her time in Impact Wrestling, and I hope that she uh, makes the most of it, because I know Impact is going to try to make the most of Trinity here in Impact. So with that being said, that was your Impact Wrestling, Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now moving over to SmackDown, first thing to note on this episode of SmackDown, the commentary team would note that the World Championship, the World Heavyweight Championship, the championship that goes on Monday Night Raw, it will be crowning a new champion at Night of Champions, and this is how it will happen. Next week on Raw and SmackDown, they will have two Triple Threat matches on both of those shows. The winners of both of those Triple Threat matches will face off on their respective shows, so meaning 
on Raw, you have two triple threat matches going on. The winners of both of those triple threats will face off in the main event of Monday Night Raw. The winner of that match will go to Night of Champions and face SmackDown's winner. So, it'll be one representative on SmackDown, one representative on Raw, facing each other for the World Heavyweight Championship at Night of Champions. Now, the question that I have is, the draft is the draft. The rule for the draft was that superstars of the draft cannot go off on either show. And for the World Heavyweight Championship to be determined for Raw for that championship, why is a SmackDown competitor competing for it? I have no idea. Next week, we'll probably get a better answer by it, but that was what was laid out for everyone this episode of SmackDown. So at least we have that. Now move on to the events that happen on SmackDown. First thing that will happen is the LWO will come out to the ring since SmackDown is in Puerto Rico. Um, you had to have your Hispanic audience be catered to by the big Hispanic uh, group, LWO. Ray would speak Spanish and hype up the crowd. And my best guess, talking about Bad Bunny, because he mentioned Bad Bunny in his uh, talk. And I believe he talked about the possibility of Selena Vega becoming the next Magda Women's Champion, because he mentioned champion, and he pointed at Selena Vega when he said this. Now, when he does this, the Judgment Day will come out. Everybody's out here except Damian Priest. This would have an interaction between the two groups, but this interaction will only happen in Spanish. But the meaning was to set up a mixed tag match for later in the main event between Rhea Ripley and Dominic Mysterio, going against Selena Vega and Rey Mysterio. Now, as the Judgment Day were leaving the ring, Dom would sucker punch Rey with a sneak attack, but not a punch. He slapped Rey in the face, then he quickly left the ring. Michael Cole being the excellent play-by-play guy for this rivalry between Dom and Rey, he called Dom the definition of a punk. So I'm just so glad to see Michael Cole like really add some... like excitement to this rivalry some personal flair to this thing because a guy like Rey Mysterio that is beloved by everybody getting treated by his son the way that he's being treated it will make anybody personally upset the fans want Dom to get beat up every single time they hate him they didn't even allow him to even speak you would just hear people boo him so for Michael Cole to really encapsulate that on the commentary team it just feels magnificent every single time we uh get that interaction of Dom Ray and uh, Michael Cole, but again, that's just me being a nerd here, uh, pointing through those things, but getting on with it, uh, the first match of SmackDown will be the Viking Raiders going against the clubs, Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows with medium at ringside and AJ Styles will be on the commentary, uh, the club would win the match by pinfall, hitting the match killer on Ivar to win the match, now after this, we will have the Raw Women's Champion Bianca Belair coming out to the ring, Bianca will say that she's happy to be back on SmackDown because this brand holds a special part in her heart because this was the brand that basically made Bianca Belair the person that she is today. Bianca will then talk about her upcoming match with EO Sky at Backlash, saying that if she wins against EO, she will hold the record for the longest woman's reign in the modern era. So this will lead to damage control coming out and Bailey would do majority of the talking. Bailey will say that Bianca is important because of her. And that she made Bianca important when Bianca came up to the main roster. She will also say that Bianca is conceited and that she should be worried about EO Sky, saying that EO would beat Bianca to become the new women's champion at Backlash, and that her and Dakota will be going after the women's tag team championships. Damage Control would surround the ring and go in to attack Bianca. 
Bianca would hold everything down for a minute, knocking Io off the apron and focusing on Dakota and Bailey. Bianca would get Bailey on her shoulders for the KOD, but Io would hit Bianca with a springboard missile dropkick, knocking Bianca down, and Bianca would get beat down by damage control until the women's tag champions, Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez, would run down to the ring and send damage control out of said ring. Now, next week, it was announced that Liv and Raquel will be defending their women's tag championships against Bailey and Dakota Kai. Now, after this, we have the tag matchup of Street Profits going against Imperiums, Ludovic Kaiser, and Giovanni Vinci. Street Profits would win the match by pinfall by hitting their tag finisher, Springboard Frog Splash on Giovanni Vinci for the win. The reason why Gunther is not out here or with Imperiums is because uh, this week he got married to... Uh, Jenny, a former WWE NXT UK competitor, she has retired from in-ring competition, and Gunther and her got married, so congratulations to the happily married couple. Also, congratulations to Pat McAfee and his wife. Uh, They have a baby. She gave birth to their young daughter, so congratulations to uh, that couple as well. Now, after this, we have Cody Rhodes coming out to the ring. Cody will be out here to promote his Match with Brock Lesnar at Backlash. Cody will call Brock a gatekeeper, saying that when you're on the top of the heap, there will be people that will try to keep you down, and that's what Brock is doing with Cody. We still don't know why Brock attacked Cody, and Cody will say that hopefully after he beats the crap out of Brock, then maybe he will get an answer. Cody will finish by saying that once he's done beating on Brock, he'll be back on the road to finishing the story. So Cody has a destination. We all know what he's trying to get to. He's trying to become a world champion, whether it be the Universal Undisputed Championship that he's trying to uh, capture or the World Heavyweight Championship that still remains uh, unseen. For everybody, they think it should be the Undisputed WWE Championship. Uh, Certain people might want him to be the World Heavyweight Champion. Me, personally, if I had it my way, I would say the Undisputed WWE Championship should be his calling and allow somebody else to go after the World Heavyweight title but we'll see in the upcoming months. Now, after this, we have Shinsuke Nakamura going against Karrion Cross with Scarlett in his corner. Nakamura would win the match by pinfall by hitting the Kinshasa on Karrion Cross to win the match. Now we go off to a main event, mixed tag match. Selena Vega and Rey Mysterio going against Rhea Ripley and Dominic Mysterio. Rey and Selena would win the match by pinfall when Dom was looking to hit Rey with three amigos, but he was only able to get one amigo off, and when he tried to nip up for the third one, Ray will lock in his legs around Dominic's legs and get him in a small package uh, pin, and the referee would count to three. So that's how Ray and Selena would win. Now, after the match, you'll get Finn coming in the ring and attacking Ray from behind. Dominic will join him. It'll be a two on one beatdown. Then you'll see Damian Priest pop out of nowhere, get in the ring. That was a three on one beatdown. They will continue to beat down on Ray until. The LWO and Bad Bunny would make their way down to the ring and take care of Finn and Dominic. And it will only be left with Damian Priest in the ring looking at Bad Bunny who has a candlestick in hand. Priest would wave his hands to Bad Bunny to tell him to get in the ring. Bunny would get in. Now you have a standoff between Priest and Bad Bunny. Now Bad Bunny would be holding the candlestick looking like he's going to hit Priest. But Dominic Mysterio would get in the ring. Dominic would eat that hit and allow Priest to escape out of the ring. And that's how SmackDown ends, with Judgment Day retreating and the LWO and Bad Bunny 
uh, manning the ring. And that's how SmackDown goes off. I feel that SmackDown in Puerto Rico was a success. The crowd loved everything that uh, they were doing in the ring. And they loved everybody that came out there. I mean, again, Dominic, he got the biggest boos of the night. I feel that Bad Bunny had the biggest like crowd reception of the night. Second to that were the LWO and Cody. I mean, nobody got a manegering type of like applause or booze. It was either everything's going up with the cheers or people just heavily booing you whenever you came out there. So everything was uh, very, very bright, vibrant in Puerto Rico. So I feel that WWE, they probably do need to take the time to go out of the U.S. American market time to time and showcase other countries or other places outside of the United States on television more. Since they're going over to England, what, in July for Money in the Bank, um, I can't wait to see how they're going to react over there on television and just showcase again why WWE is one of the biggest uh, touring entertainment uh, providers and services in the world. So, again, WWE SmackDown on Puerto Rico. It was a good show. Tonight being Backlash, I know that they're going to give the fans everything that they got. And I know the fans are going to give everything that they have to WWE. I just can't wait to see it tonight. But before I get to talk about Backlash predictions, let me go off to AEW Rampage. Rampage will open up with a trios tag match of the Lucha Brothers and Vankingo going against Powerhouse Hobbs, QT Marshall, and Aaron Solo. Lucha Brothers and Vikingo would win the match by pinfall when the Lucha Brothers would hit Fear Factor on Aaron Solo to win the match. After this, we had the TBS champion, Jay Cargill, going against Gia Scott. Jade would win the match by pinfall in quick fashion by hitting Jaded to win said match, making Jade now 57-0. And we still have to figure out who's going to be the person to beat Jade for the TBS championship or if we don't want someone to beat Jade just yet for the TBS championship, we could just have someone just beat Jade to ruin that record. Who's going to do it? I have no idea yet. We just got to wait and see for it. But right now, having Jade just constantly uh, add up more victims on her uh, record in AEW to make her wins go up is not a bad thing. Because when she finally loses, and it's going to happen, it's going to make the fans go crazy so i don't know if they're saving that for all in because again that's going to be the biggest crowd that aew has ever had or they're saving that for another big event i don't know but i will say we'll go all in why not just do it there um after this we have mark briscoe going against preston vance mark briscoe would win the match by pinfall by using the j driller for the win after the match you will have mark briscoe wave in for his family to get in the ring Security will help his uh, kids get over the barricade to get in the ring. Same thing with his mother and father. You'll see Mark get to celebrate with his family in the ring. It was such a nice moment. Again, we all know why it's a nice moment because his brother's not here to be able to uh, witness the just greatness that Mark is able to do in AEW because, again, that was all yanked away from them. But I'm not going to press and hold on to that anymore longer. I think we all know how everybody feels about that. But. It was good to have this uh, feel-good moment for Mark Briscoe and also the um, Briscoe family. Now, after this, we go to the main event, The Firm Deletion. It is the Hardys, Isaiah Cassidy, and Hook going against The Firms, Stokely Hathaway, Lee Moriarty, Ethan Page, and Big Bill. For people that don't know what The Firm Deletion is, it's basically one of the cinematic matches that we got 
over in the COVID era and even pre-COVID. Like, I believe the first time anybody had a cinematic matchup in this new modern era was in TNA. The Hardys did it. So how fitting is it for the Hardys to revisit the cinematic uh, matchup here, but this time with everybody else? Um, This match, or the cinematic match, it was... It was funny. It was nothing to take real personal here. You had Stokely Hathaway being terrorized by Matt's kids and his wife and his uh, father-in-law. You had Isaiah Cassidy basically turning into uh, Brother Cassidy, who his whole gimmick is literally just to moan into people's ears and moan just to let people know that he's aware while he's here and then he just does things. And it was wacky and funny and stupid that's all the firm deletion was supposed to be i think this whole thing between the firm and the hardys wasn't supposed to be anything to be serious wise it would just give each uh group something to do so now with the hardys winning by the way the hardys isaiah and hook would win the match by pinfall when ethan page would eat an array of moves from isaiah hook and the hardys but the swan time bomb would do the trick to put ethan page away and now that the hardys and private party are done for me underneath the firm. Now we can get back to business. So now we got the Hardys back. Hardys are probably going to go after the tag team titles. We're probably going to give them some matches underneath their belts before we put them with FTR. Uh, Hook, he's going to be doing some things. I probably see him still probably uh, having matches with a couple members of the firm, probably an Ethan Page or a Lee Moriarty or someone like that that the, her that the firm uh, hires. Um. The firm is my big question mark. What's the firm going to be doing? Because, again, they all came together the first time for MJF to become AEW World Champion. We haven't really revisited that since MJF became World Champion. Everything's went dead in track, and the firm's been doing their own thing, and they've been doing this. So now that this is technically done, I wonder what the firm's going to be doing now. But all those answers will be revealed in due time. But with that, that was your AEW Rampage. But before I get off to the Backlash Predictions... It was noted on Rampage that next week on Dynamite, there'll be a no holds barred match between Anna Jay and Julia Hart, a double Jeopardies match between Claudio Castagnoli and Ray Phoenix. The meaning of this is that Claudio is the Ring of Honor World Champion. Ray Phoenix is one half of the ROH Tag Team Champions. Whoever wins this match will get to challenge for the loser's respective championship. So if Claudio loses, Ray Phoenix will go against Claudio for the Ring of Honor Championship. And if Phoenix loses, Claudio and a member of the Blackpool Comic Club will be facing off against the Lucha Brothers for the Ring of Honor Tag Team titles. Next week, also on Dynamite, the AEW International Championship will be defended. Orange Cassidy will be going against Daniel Garcia. And the Trios Championship matchup will be having of House of Black defending the titles against Bandito and the Best Friends. Now, with that, that is your AEW Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, I will move over to Backlash Predictions. I want to speed run them real quick because I got to talk about Bullet Club and why Bullet Club is literally the biggest important faction of, I want to say all time, but I'll get to that in a minute. Um, San Juan Street Fight, Bad Bunny against Damian Priest. I'll go with, you know what? I'm going to go with Bad Bunny here. If Damian Priest win, I have no problem with that. I just hope that Damian Priest and Bad Bunny have a good street fight. I want somebody to bleed. I'm just going to be blown with you. I want either Bad Bunny or Priest to bleed. Puerto Rico has uh, a lineage with being a 
bloody type of territory, bloody type of continent in professional wrestling. I'm not saying for them to bleed heavily, but just a couple of blood spatters between uh, points in the matchup between Bad Bunny and Damian Priest, I think it will uh, bring some excitement into the event. But I say Bad Bunny win, me personally, because he's going to do something to topple Damian Priest. And even if he has the LWO to basically help him out going against Priest, I think that will help out Bad Bunny and also help out Damian Priest because Priest is a wrestler. And if he takes more than just Bad Bunny, like a group of people to beat him up, it still adds legitimacy to Damian Priest and it doesn't hurt him. So I still go with Bad Bunny here. For the Raw Women's Championship, Bianca Belair, the champion, going against EO Sky with damage control in her corner. I still go with Bianca Belair winning this because she's already made it clear that she's going to be the longest reigning uh, women's champion in the modern era if she beats EO, and I see that happening. And also, I feel that we're going to get some type of shenanigans from Bailey and damage control stopping EO from winning the championship because Bailey is all about herself. She doesn't allow nobody to talk in that group. She's all about her, 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 me, me, me. So I could feel that she will feel some type of way if EO is coming close to beating Bianca and that she couldn't do that, something that Bailey was never able to do and EO was able to do on her first try. I feel that Bailey's going to try to self-sabotage uh, EO in some way or fashion with this and that's the reason why Bianca's going to win and then we'll start seeing some cracks form and damage control with EO basically going about her own way, and I see Bailey and Dakota being a team, or more likely, Dakota just being the right-hand woman of Bailey. For the Triple Threat United States Championship, Austin Theory, Bobby Lashley, Bronson Reed. You know what? I'm going with Austin Theory. Bobby Lashley's going off to the main event style. I see him probably going against uh, Roman if AJ Styles doesn't get to have that feud with him this summer. I probably see Bobby having that with Roman this summer. Um, Theory, he's on SmackDown. They need to keep that title on SmackDown since Gunther has the Raw Championship and Bronson Reed's on Raw. So Austin Theory is just the last man on the total pole. But I still think this is going to be one of the sleeper matches of the night. Theory, Bobby, and Bronson, I think they're going to tear it down in that triple threat. Um, after this, we have Seth Rollins, Omos with MVP. I'm going with, you know what? This might be controversial. I'm going to go with Omos here. And the reason why I say that is this. Seth Rollins, he can easily jumpstart his career back again by winning the triple threat matches to get into the finals for the World Heavyweight Championship. People in Puerto Rico were chanting his name even when he wasn't there. People were just chanting him. Omos, he needs something. He needs to be presented as a legitimate threat, as a big man. We haven't seen a big, tall, giant monster be presented as a threat in some time, and I think any organization will understand that. When Undertaker was around, he was presented as a threat. When Kane was around, he was presented as a threat before he started going into his golden years. Big Show, he was always the question mark. He wasn't presented as a threat so much. He was presented as a common uh, big man, not the specialty big man which a tall giant should be presented as. Omos, he has that ability to be presented as something special when he was the bodyguard for AJ Styles during the covid era he was presented as something special like oh my god this is omos you should leave him alone i feel that we have really backed away from that with omos here i think that omos needs to win this against seth and he can be in this type of tournament here and he can lose in a triple threat because he doesn't have to eat the pin 
he can always lose by not technically losing. He could just lose because somebody else lost. And MVP could always hold that gripe there. So I want Omos to win over Seth. But if Seth wins, I'm not mad at it. I just want it to be showcased that Omos is powerful and dominant in this match with Seth Rollins at Backlash, not be presented as a uh, weak-looking giant. Now, the SmackDown Women's Championship, Rhea Ripley with Dominic in her corner, with Selena with Ray in her corner. I'm going with Rhea Ripley. Selena's going to have a good matchup here. They're going to be in Puerto Rico. Uh, she's the fan favorite, but people were saying Mommy a lot on SmackDown. People do love Rhea Ripley. So, you're going to have that, but more people are going to be voting for Selena because, again, hometown, home country uh, girl. But Rhea Ripley's going to win. She just got the championship. We're going to have her have a long reign. She's going over to Raw with the rest of Judgment Day. She's retaining the title. No more needs to be said. Cody Rhodes, Brock Lesnar, you. This one, I'm going with, I want to go with Cody. Cody needs this. Cody needs it. Brock, he's going to be disappearing. Uh, Cody needs to have some type of win since he lost against Roman at freaking WrestleMania and he wasn't able to finish his story. With him beating Brock Lesnar here, he'll be able to at least get back on track to quote-unquote finish the story and win a big world championship title uh, before WrestleMania or even at the next year's WrestleMania. So Cody needs this more than Brock does. And hopefully Brock will probably like give him a head nod or even shake his hand after the fact or something to probably give Cody like some uh, kudos for beating the Beast. Now, six-man tag. Matt Riddle, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn going against the Bloodline. Solo Sokoa, the Usos. I'm going Riddle, Owens, Sami. Bloodline is losing. Solo Sokoa is kind of already hinting at that he's probably going to take his brothers out because of the orders of the Tribal Chief. They've been like hinting at this for some time now. I finally think they're going to pull the trigger on it. And I think Backlash is going to be the perfect hotbed for it. Again, the fans are hot for it. The fans... We're crazy on SmackDown, cheering and booing everything. And I think tonight at Backlash, with this being the case of the Usos losing and Solo turning on them, I think the fans are going to boo the devil out of uh, Solo so much. And I think that they need to have a camera shot of the Usos getting back on their feet after Solo has decimated them and allow the fans to cheer for the Usos. And the fans soak in, well, the Usos soak in the fans' cheers to let everyone know that the Usos are going to be going on a good guy like streak now. And we get to see that disintegration of the Usos going against Roman and Solo. That type of business for everyone to still be inclined with the whole uh, bloodline rivalry. So with that, we'll have to wait and see what happens at Backlash. But those are my Backlash predictions. Bullet Club. Four, 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 four. Now, talking about the most influential wrestling group of all time. No, it's not the NWO. It is the group that actually ripped off the NWO and who actually catapult promotions into the stratosphere, Bullet Club. Bullet Club this past week um, has celebrated their 10-year anniversary since they were created. The first founding members of Bullet Club were Prince Devitt, now known as Finn Balor, 
uh, Bad Luck Fale, Tomatonga, and Carl Anderson. Um, Bullet Club has helped out the wrestling business so much. I don't think that when you talk about the modern era of professional wrestling from the 2000s and going further or going into the future now, there's no way you cannot have Bullet Club listed literally as the greatest faction of all time, whether you're in WWE, AEW, Independence, I think just globally, worldwide, Bullet Club is literally the faction that helped shape this modern era of professional wrestling. Because when you think about it, AEW was created off the back of Bullet Club. Literally, all elite wrestling, elite, is about Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, and Hangman Page. And Cody when he was there in AEW. Those guys were in Bullet Club. WWE, the first signing that basically jump-started NXT up and got the internet people in a frenzy was Prince Devitt, or now known as uh, Finn Balor, who was the leader of Bullet Club when he got signed. So that got people into a frenzy. And then guess what? The next people that WWE ended up signing was who? AJ Styles. Carl Anderson, Luke Gallows in 2016, and they were able to get Shinsuke Nakamura over from New Japan. Shinsuke not being in Bullet Club, but three out of the four biggest names in New Japan came over to WWE, and three out of the four came from what group again? Bullet Club. You think of business that Ring of Honor had before they got uh, sold to Tony Khan. They were doing big business because of Bullet Club and their dealings with New Japan. And Wrestling in general, the fans in the 2014, 2013 times forward, you saw them wearing Bullet Club shirts for a good period of time at any wrestling show. show. And even now, you see them still wearing a form of Bullet Club shirts at a wrestling show, whether it be a WWE style affiliated with uh, the club or the OC. And now you got AEW with Juice Robinson and Jay White. Bullet Club Gold, they have their little shirts over there. Not saying little, but you get my point. They have their shirts over there. I mean, Bullet Club is literally the glue that has shaped the wrestling world today. Let me just list you off the members that were in Bullet Club. Prince Devitt, Bad Luck Fale, Tama Tonga, Carl Anderson, El Terrible, um, Matt Jackson, Nick Jackson, Doc Gallows, AJ Styles, Yujiro Takahashi, who's still with them now. Jeff Jarrett for that short period of time. Kenny Omega, Cody Hall, Chase Owens, Tangaloa, Adam Cole, Bebe, Hangman Page, Bone Soldier, which was trash, Cody Rhodes, Frankie Kazarian, but that was, you know what that was about. Marty Squirrel, the most untalked about wrestler of Bullet Club, because we know what happened with Marty Squirrel. If people that don't know, Look it up yourself. You can go see what happened with Marty Scroll. But if that did not happen, he would be in AEW literally right now. Uh, Hikaleo. You got uh, Taichi Ichimori, Gato, Jado, Jay White, Robbie Eagles, El Fantasmo, Kenta, Evil, Chris Bay, Sho, Juice Robinson, Ace Austin, and David Finley, who's now at the top of Bullet Club now running it. Uh, Clark Connors. You got so many people that was in Bullet Club, but we only care about the leaders. So you got to look at the leaders. 
Prince Devitt carried it from when he first started it all the way to what, 2014. He gets signed in 2014. He has to go away. He gets kicked out by the Bullet Club. That happens. AJ Styles comes in. AJ Styles takes Bullet Club from one level to another level. He becomes the first Bullet Club leader to hold IWGP World Heavyweight Championship gold. He does that. He catapults Bullet Club into another stratosphere with them. Okay? Do that. Bong. AJ holds Bullet Club there with Elba Carl Anderson and the rest of them. And then he leaves for WWE 2016. He gets caked out famously by the Elite, which started with the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega. So, once he gets kicked out, we have Kenny Omega, who everybody thought, okay, why is Kenny being the leader? We would have thought it would be uh, Tama Tonga or somebody else. But once Kenny starts showing everybody why he was the leader, winning the IWGP Intercontinental Championship in a classic matchup, uh, having a fantastic G1 debut, and even winning in his debut, and I believe he's the first Gaijin to literally debut in the G1 and win it, and also, this was his debut year as the leader of Bullet Club. He was able to catapult Bullet Club into another stratosphere by doing that. And also, him having that great matchup against Okada at Wrestle Kingdom, even though he lost, he was able to still pop Bullet Club into another stratosphere. And that also increased the stock of New Japan by doing that. So, Kenny Omega does that. He has that. And then we get Cody getting brought in. And now we have a pseudo-leader for Bullet Club for the Ring of Honor side. Now, Adam Cole's gone because he got kicked out. Cody becomes the leader over there in Ring of Honor. He started doing his deal, and then we start getting the mix of Cody, Kenny, Bullet Club, Ring of Honor, uh, New Japan, business. We get that feud of, is Bullet Club okay with the whole BTE stuff? And it just catapults. Again, Bullet Club into another stratosphere because now we got Bullet Club literally on everybody's television. From Finn over there in WWE, you got Cody over here in Ring of Honor, you got Kenny Omega over there in uh, New Japan, then you also had Adam Cole who just went over to NXT. Bullet Club was literally running all major promotions in professional wrestling at that time. Okay, now we get the debut of AEW, Kenny. Bucks, Cody, Hangman, they all leave New Japan to go over to AEW. So what do they do for New Japan? They have Jay White, an unproven guy who's just coming back from excursion, who is in a feud with Okada, who is in chaos, now going over to Bullet Club. And I don't mean to say this disrespectful. People did not know if Jay White was going to be held up as that guy. He was going to be a top guy for Bullet Club. But Jay White, he took the ball and he ran with it and he did exceptionally well. Better than I think anybody giving him credit for, literally. He literally took a position that was held by Kenny Omega, literally one of the top guys ever in New Japan, period, because the company was ready to put everything on Kenny's shoulders, but then he had a dip because he wanted to make his way over here in America. Jay White, he took the ball and he ran with it. He becomes the top bad guy over there in New Japan. He has segment, not segments, but he has matches over there people cared about. He was a dastardly style of bad guy over there. And they gave him the world championship and he was actually able to carry it. He main evented uh, Madison Square Garden with Okada, which Jay White would mention multitudes of times. But Jay White, he was actually able to carry 
Bullet Club on his shoulders for a long period of time. And I think people need to give him his flowers. And also, he I believe he became the first ever Grand Slam uh, champion over there in New Japan, winning the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship, the Intercontinental title, the Never Openweight Championship, the United States Championship. Those four, he became the first Grand Champion. And then I believe Tanahashi did it after him. One or the two happened. I think JY did it first, but I digress. Jay White proved to level up uh, Bullet Club furthermore. And I'm not just saying Jay White did it by himself or Kenny or these people did it by themselves, the leaders. You still had the underboss, Bad Luck Fale. You had the Gorillas of Destiny doing their jobs when they were in Bullet Club. You had Carl Anderson, Luke Gallows, the Good Brothers. Before they left, they did their jobs in Bullet Club. Bullet Club was a running steam engine that continuously kept going and kept going and kept going. You could just look at the history of everything. Bullet Club literally has run all of professional wrestling. Literally from 20, I'll give it literally 2013 to now. So that's about a good 10 years. Bullet Club has ran professional wrestling from start to finish. No matter where you want to say it, they have literally ran it. So I think that people need to give Bullet Club a lot of respect. When you think about the greatest faction in modern wrestling, just in general, Bullet Club needs to be at literally top number one, legit top number one. And if people ask the question, who is bigger, NWO or Bullet Club? I think people are going to give the nod to NWO because NWO started it off because you had the guys jumping over from WWE to WCW and you had the whole Monday Night Wars deal made that stuff happen. But I think when people look into it, legitimately look into the whole cataclysm, look into the whole longevity of both groups, and you look at each member of each group, I think people will say, without a doubt, if you do your research right, you'll go with Bullet Club because Bullet Club literally has ran all major promotions. WWE, AEW, Impact, Ring of Honor, New Japan, they have run every major promotion without a slip or a single worry. You can literally put a Bullet Club shirt on somebody and let them run with the ball, and that's it. Bullet Club was literally it. But when you had the Bullet Club shirt, you had to make sure that you were a top guy, or at least you had the prospect to be a top guy. NWO, they just basically just throw that shirt to anybody in WCW, but Bullet Club, they make sure you have potential, and they, they try to make you cease and grab that potential if you are giving a Bullet Club shirt. Yes, yeah, some of those guys were fugazi. They flaked out. Cool. But I'll give it a good 85 out of 100 on this Bullet Club. When you look at all the names, you'll say a good 85% chunk of those people were able to reach their full potential or hasn't even reached their potential yet, but by God, they're doing extremely well. And if you look on the flip side with the NWO side, you're going to say all these guys have passed their potential or didn't even reach their potential when they were in NWO. So again, Bullet Club, top, top rated stable in all of professional wrestling in history. So if you were to ask me, I'm saying Bullet Club is literally number one at the top of professional wrestling of all time, just straight up, if you look at everything, you're going to give it to Bullet Club, 
You can put them against the NWO. You can put them against Four Horsemen. You can put them against, and I gotta even say, even DX. You look at everything in its totality. You're still give the nod to Bullet Club, and people might say Bullet Club's nothing but ripoff artists. Guess what? They might be quote unquote ripoff artists, but guess what? They were able to do it better. Yes, they took the hand sign of the two suite and they actually just did that. But other than that, look at what else have they done. They revolutionized professional wrestling for the better. They didn't damn it. They made it better than anything of these other factions. The only other faction I give it is like DX, but you look at the creative power that Triple H and Shawn Michaels have. But other than that, yeah, DX is number two, Bullet Club's number one, NWO is probably like number three or four. You can interchangeable with the Four Horsemen, but that's neither here nor there. Bullet Club is number one. If you want to do more research and looking into Bullet Club, you go ahead and do that, but just look at everything in its totality. That's all I'm trying to say. If you want to debate me, you know where my email is at to debate me and say I missed something. My email is literally in the description of the podcast episode. I want to have this conversation. Seriously, if somebody feels that I'm wrong, email me so we can have this talk. But for me, with everything being laid out, Bullet Club is literally the number one uh, stable of all time. So thank you to New Japan. Thank you to uh, Rocky Romero. Thank you to Finn Balor. Thank you to everybody that was ever in Bullet Club or still is in Bullet Club right now, carrying the torch for Bullet Club for these last 10 years. Bullet Club has literally been that stable that everybody wanted to join, but you just couldn't unless you had something. So, it is what it is. Now, with that being said, I want to say thank you to listening to that long talk about me saying how much Bullet Club is top uh, stable, but it's time for me to get you guys out of here. I want you guys to know that I will have the Backlash review up for you guys tomorrow since Backlash tonight. I will be giving you guys it tomorrow. I don't like waiting multiple days for that. So expect a Backlash episode Sunday and also the Sunday episode of my podcast. I usually do a Sunday episode where I talk about news uh, and current events that's happening. So expect that out there. So two episodes Sunday. Um, I do have a midweek episode. If you did miss that, it's out there right now to listen to for free. Go listen to that. It's me talking to 10 to 20 minutes about a certain topic. And then you get to hear music at the end of it. It's a fun time. Go ahead and have a uh, listen to that if you haven't listened to it. Um... I don't think there's nothing enough for me to promote. I want you guys to be safe out there. Please be okay. Please uh, talk to your uh, therapist or psychiatrist if you need it. Because it is May. It is Mental Health Awareness Month. I want everybody to be okay. I want everybody to live well, do well, and just be fine. And uh, I think that's it. So with that, this has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Presented by My Two Sisters Podcast. Hosted by G2. He is I and I am him. I love you all. I'll check you guys out later. Later.